At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like my Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. History Versus is a production of iHeartRadio and Mental Floss. One morning in early April 1990, rangers at Sagamore Hill National Historic Site were walking past a display at the Old Orchard Museum when they noticed that something was amiss. The display contained Theodore Roosevelt's uniform from his time with the Rough Riders in the Spanish-American War, as well as his Colt Model 1895 .38 caliber double-action revolver. Or at least, the gun should have been there. But it wasn't. At the time, uh, it was relatively simple just to lift the case up without setting any kind of alarm and taking it. That's Jake Rawson, senior staff writer at Mental Floss. That's exactly what someone did. This particular gun had a fascinating history, even before it landed in TR's hands. It was manufactured in Hartford, Connecticut, in March 1895, and was sold to the U.S. government, after which it ended up on the battleship Maine as ship property. It was still on board on February 15, 1898, when the ship exploded in Havana, Cuba. Hundreds of men lost their lives in the blast, which was blamed on the Spanish and helped to push America into the war. The gun may have remained in a watery grave, if not for T.R.'s brother-in-law, William S. Cowles, who was one of the commanding officers sent to Cuba after the explosion, as salvage divers brought up what they could from the wreck. And one of those items was a Colt revolver, Knowing that T.R. was a weapons aficionado, he gave it to him as a gift. When the Spanish-American War broke out in 1898, T.R. quit his job as Assistant Secretary of the Navy, signed up to fight, and shipped out to Cuba with his volunteer regiment. With him was the blue-barreled Colt with a checkered wood handle. Roosevelt used the weapon in the Battle of San Juan Heights. Apparently, he was able to uh, take aim and shoot at, at two enemies, one he missed, uh, one he later wrote he hit. Uh, the man fell over and 
almost assuredly died. Well, Roosevelt obviously, you know, uh, treasured the weapon prior to using it. After he used it, uh, undoubtedly, he uh, considered it probably even more significant. Eventually, the gun was inscribed. On one side, it read, From the sunken battleship Maine. And on the other, July 1st, 1898, San Juan, carried and used by Colonel Theodore Roosevelt. Well, he kept it in his personal possession until his death. And later on, when his property, his home, became a historic site and part of the National Park Service, it eventually, uh, like a lot of his possessions, uh, went on display. Which brings us back to where we started, the empty display case at Sagamore Hill National Historic Site. I'm your host, Erin McCarthy, and in this bonus episode of History Verses, we're going to explore this strange story, which I first found out about when I visited Sagamore Hill for the podcast. I knew immediately that we had to write about it, so I put Jake on the case. So when something like this goes missing on national park land, like, what's the next step? What do they do? When a crime takes place uh, in a national park or on a national park site, it's technically federal land. And so uh, the government uh, usually gets in touch with uh, park rangers, um, and they frequently pass it on to an investigative unit. Uh, And in this case, the museum was able to reach out to park rangers who conducted uh, an initial investigation and uh, eventually it made its way to the FBI. The gun had actually been stolen once before back in the 1960s, and fortunately, whoever stole it uh, seemed to get cold feet once they had taken it. The gun was found uh, not far from the museum, but it had been discarded. Uh, But this time was a little bit different uh, in the sense that the museum really had no practical security features. There were no surveillance cameras. The glass case wasn't locked. In fact, as one National Park employee explained it to us, the case could be lifted and the lock just popped open. It wasn't going to be that difficult for someone determined to take the gun if they really wanted to. So once the FBI got involved, where did they even start in the search for suspects? When a theft like this happens, investigators will often look at employees first because a lot of times this can be the result of an inside job. The FBI eventually realized that no employee was at fault. With museum employees ruled out and a security system being installed in the museum, the FBI began going to gun shows and approaching gun dealers to see if they had crossed paths with someone trying to sell the Colt. But they weren't necessarily optimistic about finding the gun that way. The gun was really distinctive and therefore hard to sell. I, I think they probably felt that whoever took it was probably taking it for their own uh, personal collection. And in that case, obviously, uh, there really weren't uh, many leads to follow. Which isn't to say that the FBI didn't get tips. They actually got a ton of them. In the time before the internet, they would get phone calls. When email came about, they got emails. And sometimes the leads would be worth looking into. There was a rumor it had been seen in Europe, but really the only promising lead, which turned out really not to be promising at all, was the idea that uh, a gun with the same serial number had turned up in a buyback program in Pennsylvania. Uh, but when they uh, looked into it more, more thoroughly, they realized even though that gun had the same serial number, it was a different model gun. And so they were essentially back to square one. As the reward kept creeping up, and eventually I think it it reached somewhere around $8,100, and there's still no concrete leads. There's no one being enticed by 
of monetary compensation. And once you get 10 or 12 years into the gun being missing, again, this was back in 1990, uh, I, you know, I imagine the FBI eventually felt like it was time to maybe put this on the back burner. But 15 years after the gun went missing, there was finally a break in the case, one that may have been made possible by a divorce. We'll be right back. Get in zone, auto zone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? My check engine light's on. Mm, that could hurt your gas mileage. The AutoZone free fix finder service can help find the fix for free. Get in zone. This whole report for free? That's right. Printed and on your phone for free. Get in zone. But what if the fix is too tough? We'll recommend a local shop. Fix finder only at AutoZone. Restrictions apply. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. (laughs) I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. You fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. More than 15 years after Theodore Roosevelt's Colt revolver went missing from the Old Orchard Museum at Sagamore Hill, one of the park rangers began receiving phone calls from a man who said he knew where the gun was. That wasn't necessarily unusual. They had gotten many similar calls before. What was unusual was that the man kept calling. He wouldn't give his name, but he said he knew where the gun was, that he'd seen it wrapped in a sweatshirt. He was able to describe its engravings. He said that he wanted it returned to the museum, but he didn't want to get anyone in trouble. The park ranger tried to plead with him and even told him, look, just put it in a box and drop it in the mail and and that'll be that. But he couldn't really get through to the guy. Eventually, though, I think the man realized that he had to do something with the gun and he agreed to make contact with the FBI. The man who had been calling was named Andy and he lived in Florida. It turns out he had been seeing a woman, uh, and the woman 
who knew that Andy was a history buff, approached him one day and said, look, I, I've got this gun. I belong to Teddy Roosevelt. And, uh, you know, you might want to take a look at it. And essentially, Andy uh, came to realize it was stolen, uh, came to realize it actually didn't belong to his girlfriend, but her ex-husband. And her husband had essentially kept it around the house, sometimes wrapped up in a sweatshirt, sometimes uh, tucked under the seat of a car. So basically, if that woman and her husband had not gotten divorced, the gun might still be missing? It's very possible, yeah. The FBI approached Andy and asked him to retrieve the gun from his girlfriend. Again, he wanted to drag his feet a little bit and was reluctant about revealing the identity of uh, his girlfriend, but being the FBI, they were rather persuasive with him. The gun was retrieved and authenticated, and in 2006, 16 years after it disappeared, it was returned to Sagamore Hill. Eventually, it took its place back in a case in the museum, one that was now much more secure. As for the man who took the gun, we'll call him Anthony T. He was charged with misdemeanor theft, which perhaps feels like a light sentence for someone who took something that belonged to a former president. Well, it's interesting because if you uh, look at uh, heists, involving valuable items, rare items, paintings, things of that nature. Uh, The punishment can be pretty severe, but with something like Roosevelt's gun, even though there have been evaluations placed on it that reached into the hundreds of thousands, I don't know that there's any definitive way of placing uh, a price on it. And uh, additionally, the federal government doesn't really insure uh, these kinds of things. So uh, it seems like the prosecutor's looked at Anthony T's situation and and realized that he was not uh, by any means a a professional thief, a career criminal, um, and decided to uh, really let him off rather easily. He uh, got a probation, he had to pay a fine, and he had to uh, perform a, a fair amount of community service. Though the gun is back where it belongs, questions still linger. No one seems to know why Anthony took the gun, although investigators have posited that it was an impulsive act. So Anthony T. was at the museum and saw the gun, saw that there really uh, probably wasn't uh, any employee around, saw that the case could be easily manipulated, and uh, it was a crime of opportunity. Uh, Actually, one of the investigators essentially described it as a a kind of artifact shoplifting, uh, something done on impulse, and uh, obviously something he came to regret. I think the irony uh, really is is the fact that Anthony, when he was charged with a crime, was charged with violating the American Antiquities Act of 1906, uh, which is basically uh, a law stating that, hey, you know, you can't steal uh, government property, uh, items of this sort, uh, artifacts. The president who signed the American Antiquities Act into law? Theodore Roosevelt. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another bonus episode of History Verses. History Verses is hosted by me, Aaron McCarthy. This episode was written by me with fact-checking by Austin Thompson. The executive producers are Aaron McCarthy, Julie Douglas, and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Dylan Fagan. The show is edited by Dylan Fagan and Lowell Berlanti. If you want to find out more about this episode and Theodore Roosevelt's, visit mentalfloss.com slash historyverses. 
History Versus is a production of iHeartRadio and Mental Floss. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.